Our passage this morning is Romans 7. We'll start at verse 4 and move on from there. We've been, um, on Easter we preached through John and looked at John 20, the resurrection account from the Gospel of John. And then what we've been doing here is going through a series on what what does it look like presently that we, are re- that we are raised with Christ. When, when Paul uses that language, what does that look like? We know it doesn't mean that we are currently immortal. We know that's not true. That's our longing. That's our hope. But we also know that we're no longer as we were. Nor is it simply a psychological kind of a game we play. There's something real that has happened in Christ's resurrection and our being united to him in his death and his resurrection. We started with 1 Corinthians 15. And the, the line that we really honed in on there was, uh, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And we began to process how the two options for, for humans, fallen humanity, are some form of rule or law keeping for their righteousness. And even if it's not a righteousness in their minds with God, it's some way of I'm correct because of these things, or the gospel, Jesus. And in Romans 6, 7, and 8, we see that fleshed out. So last week we looked at Romans 6, where Paul says, um, you know, did grace come and did grace abound that we would just get to go sin? And he says, by no means. He'll say that same phrase, by no means, in our passage twice. He's saying, listen, sin is trying to crush you. Sin isn't fun. It's trying to kill you. Sin ultimately at its core is your attempt, my attempt to live apart from God. And he says the only other option is to be a slave of righteousness. And what he's saying with that is, that is married in a way to God. We are the bride of, of Christ, and we are, we are being prepared for him. And so there's, a, there's freedom there, and there's dominion here. Now, as we, by way of introduction, I wanted to say law, which comes up in Romans 7, where we are today. Please, this is critical. It's, we don't mean the content. We mean the attempt to keep. There's a difference. Here's an example. Everyone in this room believes in justice. We, we believe in that. That's a law of God. That comes from God's attributes. God is just. When you see a video on the internet of police brutality, that's, law, that's, a, that's an example of bad law keeping. That's like, oh no, that's not what we mean. So what we're talking now about is our horrible attempts at trying to keep the law. We're like that officer. We we say, God, thanks for the law of love or anything, and I'm going to go do it on my own. And we come up with really bad imprisoning efforts. And that's what we're going to see in Romans 7, is that Paul is saying you are now set free from that prison, but it's going to be a fight. Uh, the, first four ver- the first three verses of chapter 7, he's transitioning, and he gives this example of, um, because he's speaking in, in the language of the Jewish law, that in the Jewish law, if you are uh, married to a person and you um, ever divorce, you, you, don't, you can't remarry unless that person dies. And, and otherwise, you're committing adultery according to the Jewish law. And Paul's making the point that in what Christ has done by dying after fulfilling, is it's like the law, our law keeping died. Like that marriage is now, we're now free to remarry. And who do we remarry but Jesus? We we move into relationship into the new way through the spirit, and there's freedom in that. And so I was going to just jump into Romans 8, which famously says there is therefore 
now no condemnation. We love that line, but then it occurred to me, are we feeling condemned? It's sort of important that you at least feel that way. What do I mean? It's not, I'm not trying to promote that feeling, but Paul acknowledges that there is a battle waged in the Christian life that one, when fully apprehended, at least creates a sense of, I need help. And then we cry out to Jesus. And my fear is oftentimes in our modern era, uh, the gospel is preached in such a way that we, um, we don't really think about growing in the likeness of God. We don't really think about improvement or that God's law is still glorious and beautiful. And yet in Romans 7, we see it is, and we wrestle, and there's a, there's a strife in it. Um, I inserted some quotes from uh, J.C. Ryle, who in his book, Holiness, has an entire chapter called The Battle, uh, talking about the, the true Christianity is, uh, is, has a fight in it. Um, I'll just read the third one down. A holy violence, a conflict, a warfare, a fight, a soldier's life, a wrestling. These are spoken of as characteristic of the true Christian. And so be paying attention as we read our passage that Paul, I mean, this is a cheer up moment. Cheer up, you're invited into an amazingly cosmic wrestling match until we go to heaven. That's what you're in. So Christian, is that what you want? Well, of course not, but yes, right? There's a part of me that doesn't want that, but in my right mind, my true mind, the, the redeemed mind, I recognize I want my sin out. And I want righteousness in. And so that's what Paul's getting at. Let's read together, starting in verse 4. And he's saying the word likewise. He's now saying, like this illustration of the woman and the law dying and all that. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in our flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me, through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. 
For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, we need mercy, but teach us also to recognize we run from the admittance of needing mercy. We run from the ways that our flesh rules and reigns in our hearts, and we become, in those moments, those, those times, people who are living out of unbelief. Help us to see what Paul is teaching here, that the normal life this side of heaven, this side of being with you in glory, in paradise, the normal life is both filled with peace and glory, but wrestling and seeing brokenness in our hearts. And my prayer, Spirit, is that we would not see this as a curse, but as a blessing, because through that process, we know we grow. Teach us to be Christians who are faithful in running toward you and all of your glory. Amen. Um, years ago, when I was in RUF myself in Colorado, uh, we, our family, or at least my wife and I, drove to meet with other church planters and, and uh, their RUF guys and at a, at a place with, uh, I guess they were having a meal at one of our friend's houses, but he's kind of a quirky guy. And when he just sat down to dinner and kind of got settled and he looked at us and he and his wife were at the table and my wife were there because there were several tables. And he said, how do you and your wife fight? Remember that? I was like, what? I don't want to talk about that. Like, what do you want me to tell you? It was a very awkward moment that, however, stuck with me. I did ask him, you tell me how you guys fight, and he didn't, I don't think he did. Uh, I just assumed they had had a fight, and we showed up, you know. Like, usually you fight right before the guests arrive, and so this was his awkward way of dealing with that. But, but actually, I think there was something deeper that's helpful, and that is this. What we all sort of kind of nervously laugh at, especially if we're married, is, uh, yeah, like, to be in a relationship means conflict. Every one of us knows this. And I think most of us have the maturity to say, you actually grow through conflict, right? Isn't that something I think most Christians can say? Man, I don't like conflict, but when it comes, I grow through it. Yet I think most of us avoid it like the plague, literally, except for those of you that don't avoid the plague. Um, I thought you, that, that line doesn't work anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> like it used to be a great line. I thought all of us wanted to avoid this thing. Okay, back to the, back to the point. We hate conflict. And yet the normal Christian life is one of daily battle, daily war. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, there's been a, a quote that's kind of been in my mind for the last three months. I maybe have said it here. I don't remember. 
uh, but it's a Leonardo da Vinci quote who says, the supreme misfortune, that's a pretty astounding statement, the one, I'm not sure I'm going that far, but this is a big one. He says, is when theory outstrips performance. I love theory. I love theory. And I think all of us as Christians love theory. We, oh, I love Paul. I love, I love what he's writing about this stuff. And yet the truth is we despise when our sin is exposed. We, the performance of what we've just read is utterly poor compared to my love for the theory. I'll talk a great game, but it's exposing. And yet what I think we all can agree with, and, and we, we preached through James recently, is James says, listen, consider it joyful when struggles come, right? And a little bit later in chapter one, he says, um, don't just be the reader of the Bible, be someone who does what this Bible teaches. Be a, don't do performance, don't just do theory. Now, if you were here during the, some of those sermons we discussed, that, that verb for being a doer of the word is being someone who creates, who makes. So God is giving us glorious truth, and oftentimes we don't go make new art with it as we're called to do as, as creation. This morning I was reading Psalm 25, and it's one of those places where the psalmist says, teach me your paths, teach me your ways. And why, why I want to just, as we move into our, our main body of this discussion, what the psalmist is not saying is, teach me your theology. Yes, theology is critical. He studied it all his life. He's now saying, but make it have roots and ground, make it have feet in my life. That, that the things I believe and say I believe are actually being things I do in my particular life. So the question for you is, are you an artist? Like, is, God, is God's reality being expressed through your particular life? That's what we want to talk about. How does the gospel free you to become the, the artist, so to speak? I'm using a, it's a metaphor. If you think artists are weird, it's a metaphor. To go out into your life. And so, years ago, there was a uh, book written by Steve Pressfield. He wrote The Legends of Bagger Vance and The, uh, the Legend of Bagger Vance and 300 and others. He wrote a great book on writing called The Art of War. You might hear the play on words, of course, the ancient book, The War of Art. He's playing on that. So he's saying there is, an, there is a war going on to produce art. So point number one is the war of art. The goal of the Christian life is that our lives are filled with glory, that we, we are, wherever we go, a radiance of the beauty of God. That's the goal of the gospel. That's the art. That's what we are. But there is a war involved, and that's what we're looking at for point one. And so what we're going to look at in this point is the fact that to make art, to go forward, there has to be this impulse. I'm going to use a lot of art language. I've been reading a lot about art lately. Um, the impulse. That is, there is something beyond you. If you read anybody who produces art, they'll say it starts with some impulse, some sense of something beyond, something greater, and they're going to risk through creative endeavors to get to that place. And David, or excuse me, Paul, remind me where we are, Paul in Romans 7 says something that's very profound. What he says is there is something transcendent beyond us that is beautiful, and that's the law of God. And I think it gets a bad rap. And the reason the law of God gets a bad rap 
is most of us think of it in terms of what we have to do to keep it. And I want us to be sort of, for the moment, freed from that to just look at what is the law of God. I was talking with Justin Hazard this week. We happened to be dropping our daughters off. I would say at the same time, his got him there 30 or 40 minutes too soon. But uh, they had been waiting in their van, and the girls jumped out for a volleyball and track. And so we kept talking. And Justin is an entrepreneur. If you have anything you want to talk about with entrepreneur, go to Justin Hazard. Um, but we, we, I don't know how we even got on the topic. I said, I'm going to go work on the sermon, blah, blah, blah. But uh, he mentioned a book about a man who, in Oklahoma City, started a company that really was a pioneer in some of the digital wor uh, works that later led to like, things like Pixar and digital animation. But, but a big part of that man's um, endeavor was creativity. And he would start their meetings. You know, when, when you do creative work, you often have to critique things. You have to look at it. And uh, he would remind the people before he kind of critiqued what they had done, you are not the pixel. Is that right? Am I saying that right? And just that freedom that comes from the fact that I'm not the thing being critiqued. We are people who are so afraid of the law because we're still living as if we're married to it. If, if it turns out that marriages should look like this or parenting should be like this, then I am in trouble. That's how most of us enter into the discussion. And yet, Paul is saying, look, the law is glorious. The law is beautiful. And he says that several times in our passage. Right? He says the law is spiritual, it is good, it is righteous, it is holy. And the law he's actually specifically referring to is coveting. And so, interestingly, the word, that, that's kind of a mature law. Like most religious people can go to the Ten Commandments and go, okay, I'm not going to murder anybody. Okay, I guess I won't commit adultery. And I won't steal. But coveting? That's a hard one. What is David, what is coveting? Um, coveting is wanting something in a way that's improper. It's an over, it's, it's wanting something out of the bounds of what it actually is. And what makes coveting so problematic is that you're actually saying, I don't trust God. So if you covet your neighbor's wife, let's assume you have one. And you know, I like this wife, but man, that wife would be amazing. I'm not trusting God. I'm not, I'm not saying, God, I believe in your provisions that my wife is the wife you wanted me to have. Or I'm not believing that that woman and that man are in the right relationship. And typically what's happening in those moments with coveting is not, I really want to be married to her. It's usually a, a desire for possession. It's a desire to step outside of the way things are supposed to be and say, I want to own, I want to possess, I need. And yet the, we know that that commandment really is sort of the sum of all that we are to live in such a relationship with God that we trust all of his goodness and all of his glory and all of his provisions. And so I think most of us would say, okay, I, I think I'm tracking with you. The law is good. Show me other places. Well, this week, I think, uh, when, when the, um, the, the, the verdict came out in the optical, you know, I'm, not, I don't, I'm trying to get too political, but let's just say the verdict. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're fine. Um, there was a crying out of, of, of rejoicing, in a way, over justice being served. Do you, does anyone know what I'm talking about without me getting too particular? And the point is we all long for justice. Like there's this collective sense right now, I think it's fair to say this last week, that this country, that this life demands something of justice. 
and that when there is a wrongdoing that we can trust that there will be some format of justice. We love the law. If I went to you individually through just sitting down together and said, tell me who spoke into your life, what, who, what person, and you begin to name people, well, it was my teacher in the third grade or whatever, you would begin to describe, they love me unconditionally. They, they showed me love. So we long for love, right? We love the law. Yet for so many of us, it feels threatening, but what, what the law is, is the radiance of, of God. It's, it's, it's the emanation of who is it. It's his character. So theologians use the term attributes. These are the, the attributes of God are the things that God, that define God, that describe God, I should say. And there are some of those attributes that are not communicated to his, to his creation, to mankind. We're never going to be omnipotent. We're never going to be omnipresent, right, or all-knowing. We're not going to have those, those things, but we will have his justice, his holiness, his, other, his attributes that are, gonna, that are the ways we have also been communicated to image him. Those are things he longs to give us. I want you to hear what I'm saying is that the impulse of art, using the metaphor, is we are too long for God's glory to be broke, breaking into our very lives. Where are you today? What, what do you need of God's glory? Do you believe your your relationships, your marriage, your, your finances, the hard, broken places that God longs to, with your partnership, revive and renew you and deliver you down the paths of his righteousness? Do you believe that he has a particular path for you? That is the promise of the law. It's a beautiful promise. Where we go wrong is when we try to go after it on our own, or we try to go after it in our own effort. And that's why we have to come now to the reality. What's the reality? For Paul, the reality is, yes, there is this impulse. I don't want to ever covet again. I don't want to ever not love my neighbor as I should again. But immediately he begins to be aware of his own frailty, his own sin. This is the war we're talking about. For Paul, as he describes this inner struggle, he says, when the law came to life, I then knew... What sin was. He says in verse 8, sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, producing me all kinds of covetousness. So there's really these two properties. One property is I actually realize I'm sinning. When the, when the, when the spirit comes, the law begins to come to life. It is the natural process of a Christian to go, oh, oh, there's this, right? There's this. But if your tendency is to go, I'm going to fix that. You're going to just sin more. Um, I'd bring coffee cups with me from home that I like. I have this kind of weird attachment to my coffee cups. Am I the only one? I, I, so I get them here, I drink them, and then I want to get them home. And I'll go to the back of my car, my seat, put my bag, I'll put the coffee cups, and I'll wrap some T-shirts or whatever, but just to keep them safe. I want them to survive, to drive home. I want to get home and transfer them back into the kitchen for another day. And how many have I broken where I get home, I've forgotten all about them, I open the door, I grab my bag, and they come flying out, crashing on the ground. And it's just like the very thing I did to be super careful backfired. I think that happens all the time with the law. Like, I'm going to be so this today. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to do my own way. I'm not, and then it just produces all sorts of deeper sins along those lines because we're trying it on our own. 
the reality is you and I are broken, right? We have sin. And just going back to this creative concept, the way you get to producing the glory we are longing for is never by pretending that maybe what we're doing is okay. Right? That's what legalism is. So what is, what is the problem? What, what Paul's saying we're rescued from in the spirit in verse 6 is this old way, which is I'm going to live by the law. Um, the, 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 the law and this concept in the Bible is called Pharisees. For some of you, I'll use a more modern reference. Uh, here's the modern reference for what does it mean to take the law and try to do it yourself. And just to set it up, it means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose the things I'm good at. You know, the Pharisees were famous for, like, ignoring the weightier matters and choosing the things they could perform. So the modern term for that, I would love to go around and say, what do you all, what would you insert? Here's what I'm going to insert instead of Pharisee. Karen. The modern term for Pharisee is Karen. Now, if your name's Karen, I'm super sorry unless you act like a Karen. But that's the joke right now. Maybe it's gone on for some time where these are the, in this case, women. I'm sure there's a male name we could insert as well, who always know the way you're supposed to do things. Ah, you didn't do it right. You didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. right? And it's just like, yeah. I'm never the one that knows the way. You know what I mean? There's the legalist, right? Um, the opposite of that is I'm so bothered by the laws. I'm so bothered by the rules. I'm so bothered by the Karens. I'm out. I'm going to be counterculture. I'm going to be different. I'm going to live not with the law, but guess what? It's a new law. It's a new way to do it. Paul says if you... If your husband didn't die, the law still lives, you're just adulterer. You're just going to go out and do the same thing somewhere else. Well, that would be like the counterculture. I was watching um, a guy on a Netflix show on artists, and he's like, you know, we're a group of artists who don't make much money at our art, so we have to have real jobs, but we get together and we perform our art. And it's just, it's the, and I, I grew up, and when I went through, I, you know how you get to like make jokes because you did it? I was an art major, so I can talk like this. But the craziest, you know, counterculture people. Uh, and you're like, you're so lovely, and they, you have no rules, and I love everything about you. And, the, and they interview this guy. He's like, yeah, so we get together, but here's the number one rule of our art movement. If you say you're going to bring something new on a Thursday, because that's like their big reveal every week, like Thursday we get together, and, and you've said you're going to bring a painting, an act, some form of song or poet, whatever you're going to bring, and you don't, you're out. Wait, what? I have the earrings and the sunglasses. I'm out. Yeah, you're still out. So, so the point is, the world is ready to kick you out if you don't break the follow the rules. And the gospel is saying, listen, you can't follow the rules. You need a new way, and that way is the spirit. So, the war of art is this wrestling with the fact that you and I cannot do what the spirit is showing us is now lovely and beautiful. And it forces us to something. And that's what we're going to spend our last part on is now we're going to go back point number two, although I don't have enough time to do as much time, so don't worry, it won't be as long, is the art of war. Point one is the war, the inner battle to produce God's law, art. Now the art of war, how do we do the warfare? What's, what's it look like to engage this warfare? And Paul talks about this toward the end of seven um, when he says famously, Verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. 
but I do the very thing I hate. But listen to what he says in verse 16. But now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. There's something about the ability and the freedom while knowing you're not complete, you're not, you're in your members, you're, there's a part of you that is sinning, that that's not your true identity. This is the key for Paul, and this is the key for unleashing our Christian faith, is please hear me, you are not your members. The true you is not all the thoughts that come across your brain, all the urges, all the emotions. Paul is very careful to do this kind of balancing act of the true self or the inner self or the new man. Later in verse 25, he says, in my mind. What he's trying to say is the, the new creation, the new me, the, the, the me with the Holy Spirit in union, are not the me by myself operating out of the flesh. And he uses the word members. And we talked a long time last week about those members, but what I want us to remember is we have a lifetime of habits and deeply grooved processes all seeking to to heal us that are broken. And so when we come to the gospel, what the promise is is we can go, wait a minute. I don't have to go first fix all of that before I can agree with this. Have you ever been in an argument where you're like saying something true, maybe not even an argument, a conversation, and the other person said, yeah, but you don't live like that. I do this every Sunday. But that's my job. I get up here and I say, look at all this amazing stuff. Ryan, you don't live like that. I know. And what do I do? I need to cry out, wretched man that I am. It's because the beautiful picture of the gospel, the, the art of war is I, I, don't, I don't downplay the law. Rather, I realize that the law is true. The law is beautiful. Jesus, it, it's, a, it's his character emanated on the word and the spirit is illuminating it to me and it's a potentiality. Like I have this promise that I can actually live like this. Praise the Lord. And the moment that happens, your flesh is going, no, no, no. Remember what you just said yesterday? Remember what you just thought four minutes ago? And so our flesh is always raging and waging a war with us and we need to understand that is normal. That's what Paul says. I love it. Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. He's not saying, please keep sinning. That's not what he's teaching. He's saying that I'm going to always have parts of me that are trying to remind me of all of my own sin, of all of my brokenness, and they're going to come not in full easy to debunk statements. They're going to come in, in emotions, memories. There's just feelings of shame, temptations, cravings. Our flesh is trying to drag us down. And what Paul is saying is, listen, there's an art to this war. And the art is going, wait a minute, the law is beautiful. The law is lovely. Jesus is glorious. That is the art of war. And it's, I would just define it as repentance. Are we repenting? Now, remember, I talk about repentance a lot, and I just want you to think repentance is not confession alone. It is confession, but when I confess a sin, Lord, will you forgive me? Here's my sin. I'm doing two things. I'm saying the sin, but I'm asking for the Lord to forgive me. 
And what that means is I'm suggesting, Jesus, when you died on the cross, this one particular sin I'm asking to make a withdrawal for this particular, like I need, I need propitiation. I need this sin to be paid for. He doesn't just do magic pixie dust. I will no longer care about your sin. He says, I died for that sin. I spilled a particular drop of blood for that. And we're taking that drop of blood as starving beggars saying, thank you, Jesus. And I want you to hear the relational connection in verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He doesn't say, who will forgive me for all that I've done? That's important. But he's asking for deliverance. He's wanting to be reconnected. He's asking to be made whole again. So repentance is, the, 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 the art here of war is we're battling by looking at the law, repenting of this particular ways we struggle to keep it and ask Jesus to forgive us, but we're asking that we would be renewed by faith knowing that we actually want to walk in these ways. That's super hard to do and yet super powerful. How do you knowingly, I think one of the areas we struggle, how do I knowingly repent and say, Lord Jesus, I want to live this way with part of your brain going, but I know I'm going to struggle. And there's this, the gospel provides you this hope that you can actually enter that and, and for the moment by faith say, that, I'm not under law. This is the real me right now. I don't need to do the economic like, well, how long can I last? Is this really, you know, like Peter gets out of the boat, stands on the water. All he needs is just to look at Jesus, and this is his reality. The second he starts doing the calculations, wait a minute, this is like 30 fathoms deep, and I'm a human, and he sinks. That's the law. Don't look at the law. Look at the Lord. Look at, look at redemption. Look at the law. You see the sin. You take that sin to the cross, but then you look at Jesus, and you say, this is who I am. Holy Spirit, you dwell in me. Will you Teach me to walk in your ways. Will you teach me to live out of your ways? Will you live through me? And that's where we're going to look next week. But this week I have to just say, and we're closing right now, that my concern is that so many of us jump to this chapter 8 and forget the fact that we really are to battle with our flesh. And the most crazy-making reality is this. The closer you are to Jesus... The cl- like if we all took a poll and said, it's you, Stan, you're the guy who's the closest to Jesus of anyone we've ever met, Stan's going to say what? I don't feel that way. I feel my flesh. I feel my sin. Actual growth, actual holiness, true change, but, but internally, if he looks at that for his record, it doesn't feel right. But if he looks at his Savior, as you and I do, we all feel with Stan, there's nobody named Stan in here. That's why I chose Stan. If your name is Stan and you're visiting, we love you. You're really awesome. Are you coming to the gospel saying, I want to do it on my own like Peter looking down? Or are you coming like Peter originally did and saying, call me out of the boat. I want to walk on water with you. I believe in you. I believe the promises. I trust that you can change me. Are you ready for the fight? Um... I just want to conclude with a story. If no one else cares, I just care about this because I love art and it's an art dis- discussion. 
Walt Disney is one of like, the guys I study. He was not a believer, so I'm not talking about any of his private life. But his act of creativity is so amazing. But what was cool about Walt was he could, paint, he could draw and animate, but he wasn't great. So you know what he did? He went and hired great animators. And he invented, his company invented storyboarding, something we all probably know what that means now. That was a Walt Disney creation because they could take a script and through these sketches, they could kind of see the way the story would work before they spent the countless hours, you know, making the movie only to go, oh, no, it didn't work. And so, but he was famous for walking into these storyboarding meetings and and kind of ruthlessly like saying, that's not working. And throw that away, and even shelving an entire movie for a a decade because it wasn't quite right. And, like, we get to be Walt. (laughs) You, You hear me? Like, we get to be, like, I'm not good at this, but I know there's something out there so much more glorious. And the Spirit is the one who says, yes, 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 I'll come in. Only we would never throw anything the way the Spirit does, but we get to say, Holy Spirit, like, will you change this. I'm super cranky here, and I'm super mad over here, and I'm fearful here, and I'm angry there. And, and he's like, yes, but here's how, here's the, the yes, I will take care of that, but here's the deal. Why did you do it? Oh, I mean, he goes a little bit deeper. Well, I was afraid. Well, okay, let's, and he, and he takes us deeper and deeper and deeper, but the point is this war and this wrestling is an internal battle that we fight as a step toward our freedom it's not the problem. The problem is when you don't fight. The problem is when you're not at war. The problem is when you have zero conflicts, because that just means you're not trying. Or dare I say, in chapter 8, he says, so brothers, no, he says this, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, promise, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. So my conclusion is this, Christian, if you have the spirit, embrace the struggle. And if you're sitting here this morning and saying, I have no idea what any of this means, you need to ask, do I indeed have the Holy Spirit? And if you're in fear that maybe you don't know the Lord, that maybe you aren't really in it for this process, I would invite you today to receive the Lord, to receive the Spirit. And that will come primarily with Paul crying out, wretched man, wretched woman that I am. I've been trying to live apart from Jesus, will you rescue me? And the answer is yes, he will. Yes, he will. Let's pray. Jesus, we cry out, rescue us, because we are people who, thanks be to to your spirit's presence, see a reality beyond our grasp. But Lord, it's not beyond your grasp. Teach us, couched in your spirit, to be able to cry out, Abba, Father, Lord, help us to move down the paths that you have crafted for us, step by step, repentance and faith, by confessing the ways we are broken, the ways we struggle, and yet by faith, drinking in the truths that our identity is no longer law-keeping, but our identity is that we have the Spirit who has given us your record, Jesus, that we are righteous because of you. We need your power, we need your spirit, we need you to open our eyes, give us a longing to grow for your glory. Amen.